As I've often told people, with all due respect to all the good programs out there that try to heal the racial divide, if Christ isn't part of it, you just you still have a problem. Christ needs to be the center of the answer to racial division or any other problem out there. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Excited to have Michael Joyner with us today. Michael is one of the lead actors in the movie The Grace Card to be released this coming week in theaters across America. First Person is here each week as we take the time to hear people's stories, their spiritual biography, so to speak, and their calling to do what they do for the Lord. You'll find much more information, including links to this new movie, online at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, the first time I saw the grace card at a private screening, I walked away thinking over and over about its theme of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. I found it to be a powerful film with a great storyline and acting, and it all came together because a church in Memphis, Tennessee, decided to make their first movie. I actually went to a second screening just because I wanted to experience it all over again. It was that good. Well, Michael Joyner is an important part of this film. He is actually a stand-up comedian, one who likes clean comedy, but his dramatic role in The Grace Card, I think, is outstanding. So I talked recently with Michael on the phone and asked him to describe his role of police officer Mac McDonald. Well, Mac is a... uh, Well, the way the movie starts out, it's not really giving anything away, so I'll tell you... um, it starts in flashback. It's 17 years earlier. Uh, Mac has just gotten married. He's uh, in the front yard with his wife. She's got a little baby, and he's got a seven-year-old boy. And it's, it, it's, it looks like one big happy family with a possibly a bright future. Um, however, the, going on at the same time as this little scene is a car chase between some cops and some gangbangers. And... Uh, as this goes on, uh, what happens is uh, Mac's son, his seven-year-old son who's riding on a trike, gets hit and killed by uh, a couple of gangbangers. And so then the scene has him waking up. He was just having a nightmare. And this has been going on for 17 years. As he's been, You find out that he's become a racist since then, racist tendencies. He's very bitter towards blacks, minorities, and he's mad at God. And he's a cop. He's a cop. He's now a Memphis policeman. And his son, who was the little baby, is now 17 years old, and they're not getting along. There's the marriage. Is, there's just an atmosphere of just stress and tenseness, and it's not. It's not a good thing. You just get the feeling right off the bat that, that this is not a a good family atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Michael, I've seen two pre-screenings of the movie now. I, I wanted to see it the second time because the first time. I kind of wanted to test myself because the first time I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about the movie and its message. Uh So I wanted to see it again to kind of test that, and it it proved to be true. This is a very powerful film. Yeah, it really is, man. And, uh, you know, when we were filming the movie, we felt that as well. There were several scenes. There's several, as you know, I won't give away some of the more. For instance, let me just say the chapel scene. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did that scene. It goes on for several minutes. And it's very intense and very dramatic, and it's a it's a catalyst in the movie. But after we did that scene, there was just quiet on the set because we knew God's presence had just shown up and done something special. And we, David, the director, walked in and said, "Okay, guys, that was awesome." <laughs> People were in tears even there, and he said, "Let's take thirty seconds to collect ourselves and let's do it again." And he did that about eight times, and each time 
it was like the presence of the Lord just showed up. And I said to Mike after, I said, I know God's going to show up that same way when he, in the theater, and this is going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we knew, and, and as you know, then the ending, some folks are calling it one of the most powerful endings they've ever seen in a movie. That's another one where, man, if you don't, if you don't want to applaud, or at least in your heart, if you don't <laughs> feel like there has been a breakthrough, something ain't right. It's much more than just entertainment. Yeah, you might want to provide Kleenex with the tickets to this movie, I tell you. Now, uh, you've been a comedian and actor for a while, a long time. Uh, What did you think when they came to you and said, we want you to do this, quote, Christian movie? (laughs) Well, that's funny because I actually was very skeptical. Tell you the truth, I got the call from uh, Mr. Evans after he saw my acting reel online and they were looking for the lead character in this movie that I knew nothing about. He said two things, low budget and Christian. (laughs) <laughs> which made, which is kind of redundant, really. But uh, <laughs> which made me say, you know, I, I just told him right off the bat. I said, you know, I'm, I'm not too, uh, I'm very skeptical about Christian films. I've not seen too many, if any, that were uh, of good quality. And I think a lot of them preach to the choir. So I said, you know, send me the script. I'll take a look at it. And he did. And of course, you know, it's funny how when God, when God has what He has for you, you. Even when you're looking for it, it's like, how do you miss? I mean, I remember searching for a wife, and I would go here and there and try to help God out. You know, we go to this church and that church, <laughs> and then when my wife finally did came come along, I didn't see it coming. And the same with this script, I was very skeptical. I didn't think this was what God was going to use for my career breakthrough and many other breakthroughs. But uh, when I read the script, I was just, I was like, man, I, I love this role. I love this script. It's well-written by Howard Klossner, by the way, who wrote Space Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And uh, just from there, things started happening. I gave David my prize, and he said, okay, so we were on our way. Well, this is one of those, quote, church-produced movies. Tell me the, the story of how this movie came about, a, a church in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, from what I understand, David Evans, the, uh, the, uh, who, who created the story, he didn't write it, but he created it and uh, directed it was seeing, uh, I guess he was uh, in a movie theater, he watched Fireproof, and he felt that that was maybe what God was calling him to do after many years of directing uh, the productions in the church, the theatrical productions. So he had already started writing the Grace Card, which had a different name at that time. He had started getting the ideas for it, and uh, he thought it was going to be maybe a theatrical production, and after he saw Fireproof, he said, no, I think I think God's calling me to do movies. And so that's when he got a hold of Howard Klostner to rewrite it. And uh, from there, it's just amazing how, I guess, I haven't heard all the story from David's perspective, but uh, God just started opening doors and things started happening and it started happening very fast, actually. But this is one of those movies that was largely made by volunteers. Am I right in saying that? No, absolutely. Um, there is a, prof- you know, there, there's some areas you don't want to compromise in. On professionalism, and he took care of that. The director, of photography, of course, the lighting people. But there was uh, the rest of the folks. I mean, and I got to tell you, on that when I was on that movie set, I didn't know who was professional and who was. Uh, get, they were so incre- everybody was professional. I didn't know who was hired, and I didn't know who was uh, volunteering. They were just so good at what they did, so devoted. And um, but uh, then eventually, I got to know each other everybody, and I knew there was a lot of folks there from the church, but I think 70% at least um, cast and crew were um, volunteer. 
They did mm-hmm. have auditions for the more important roles. Uh, but I, every time I see the young man who plays my son, I am just so... He was just incredible. Perfectly cast. He never acted. And uh, just a real natural. And I think this was divinely cast, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to give away any more than you have given away here about the plot, but I, I really do hope our listeners will go watch the Grace Card. But there is a certain... I don't know what word to use other than grittiness to this movie that you don't often see in movies that are made of this nature. There, there's a realism about it, isn't there? No, absolutely. And that's, I think I've been a big advocate for that. Uh, as Christian filmmakers, let's not say Christian films, but as Christian filmmakers, you know, you have to, uh, you can't compromise on, uh, it, is a, it, it is a tough line for us. You don't want to compromise um, in your walk with Christ and, and so on, but you also don't want to compromise the integrity of the quality. So where do you find that balance? But I think we're really starting to find it. You know, Courageous is coming out. I've seen bits and pieces of that, mm-hmm. and it looks just incredible. They had a, a, a nicer, a better budget, a couple million at least for that, and it shows. They've used it their money really well. And it just costs money. I think we have to tear down that mindset that it's a sin to entertain. And yeah. here's the thing. People go to the movies for one reason, to be entertained. So we need to entertain them, but in that entertainment, we we can throw in, you know, Jesus called us to be fishers of men, right? Mm-hmm. So the hook is the gospel. I mean, the hook is the entertainment, but there's the gospel in the end of that yeah. hook. Well, you play a pretty tough guy in this movie, a guy who's very bitter, uh, who is a racist, who comes right up to the edge of using right. uh, the N-word and lots of other things in the movie. I mean, that's that's all part of making it very realistic. Yeah, you can't. You have to show that stuff, and and I think we did a great job of taking it as far. You know, we've had a lot of audiences that were African American, and if there was something in there at all that they thought, hey, you shouldn't have taken it that far, they would have told us. But they actually, you know, when we talk to African American folks who viewed the movie, they're just so blessed, they're touched, and they think that that's just right because they they want you to see what they've been through actor Michael Joyner of The Grace Card. We'll talk with Michael Moore about how God prepared him for this role coming up. Next week on First Person, we'll meet a man who's dedicated his life to the development of the church in China. There is so much we've learned from the Chinese church about persecution, about balance in our view of discipleship and what evangelism is, what the church is, about patience and all these things. We can learn a lot from the Chinese church. And we'll learn some of those lessons from Dr. Thane Yuri next time on First Person. Let's pick up the conversation again with Michael Joyner, an actor in the new movie, The Grace Card. Michael is not only a great dramatic actor, but he's also a stand-up comedian. And I asked him to talk about that part of his life. Well, that's another kind of uh, definitely a God story. I came back from uh, Los Angeles after I had been there the first time in from 1986 to 1988. I gave my life to the Lord, came back home to get into theater as an actor, and I was going to Vineyard Christian Fellowship in Valparaiso, Indiana, and my youth pastor knew me as a cut-up. I've been the class clown all my life. Never thought about stand-up comedy. I'm in my 30s at that time. And he said, hey, why don't you do some stand-up comedy for the uh, talent show? And I, I told him, he, he, kept, uh, he kept bugging me. I said, no, I'm not into that. Finally, I gave in, I did it, and I just fell in love with it. So from there, I started contacting other Christian comedians and, 
and uh, started doing mostly just Christian comedy. And then I realized, well, you know, my comedy's not really Christian in so much that you only get it if you're Christian. My comedy's clean. Anybody could get it. So then I became a, uh, uh, you know, I did comedy clubs, and I do a lot of corporate events where they want you to be clean. So I started making, been making a living at that for 18 years. I do concerts, um, of course, Christian events, and um, I don't know if you know this, but my now 13-year-old son, Dustin, has been doing stand-up since he was seven. I didn't know that. He's been on, uh, well, I'm often known as Dustin's dad anymore. <laughs> if you look him up, he's, there's some crazy stuff on YouTube. He's been on America's Most Talented Kids, Steve Harvey's Big Time, all the major clubs in New York City and, and uh, Hollywood. So he's uh, he's my opening act right now, but he's a hard act to follow. Boy, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had other dramatic roles? As an actor, yeah. Um, you know, people always find it hard to believe I'm a comedian after they see me do a dramatic role. But if you really look at it, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, some of the uh, most notable dramatic actors were comedians. Steve Martin is really excellent in drama. So, And, and as you know, as you probably have heard, uh, comedy actually comes from tragedy oftentimes. There's, there's, you know, comedians have uh, their, their life history is often full of... Uh, you know, uh, sad stories. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, I, I prefer drama, and I did. I, I play a lot of cops. I've done a lot of commercials where I'm uh, either cop role or uh, whether comedy or drama. I've done a lot of uh, when I was in Hollywood. I guess the Bruce Willis. You know, I don't know if you know, I was Bruce Willis's photo double for Moonlighting. All right. Well, you're yeah. just giving me all kinds of surprises here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> takes no talent. Uh, I used to say it takes no talent to be Bruce Willis, but no, it does. He's, 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 <laughs> he's a good actor. But um, yeah, so I, that was an interesting job, and that's right when I gave my life to the Lord, and he was the one who actually told me, he said, you need to get some theater experience. That's, that's, what, uh, that's what he did. So I came back home, became a comedian, and also started doing theater, and then when I got married... I moved, eventually moved my family back out to L.A. about eight years ago and uh, studied with Kevin Spacey's coach, private coached with him, got an agent. Things were going pretty good till uh, the economy kind of went sour, and mm-hmm. we had to move back to Kansas City because of that. And here's what that did in my heart, first of all. It caused me to put my family fully in their proper priority because I no longer had a career to, to compete with. And I felt good about that. Uh, I put my marriage in, in better perspective, my family, and I said, Lord, that's all I have. To, I don't know what to do about it as an actor, but I know as a husband and a father, I have to line up my life with the Word of God fully. And until you tell me otherwise, I don't know why you're calling us back here. Well, tell me more about coming to faith in Christ. And once that happened, I mean, did you feel his calling to stay in that acting community? You know, that's funny, because when I gave my life, when I really committed my life to the Lord, and I separate, the reason I put, phrase it that way is because I got saved in high school, and uh, I was all by myself. I was um, getting convicted by the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was then. I just knew I was afraid of death, and I had to do something about it. But I, I the, there were these billboards at that time, way right back in 1977, that said, I found it, and they were talking about, I found the answer to life, eternal life, and sure. I, I read that tract, and 
and I knew that Jesus was what I needed to do if I wanted to go to heaven. So I asked Jesus into my heart, and I, all I knew was I wanted to read the Bible and pray, but I also still had this sin nature, which kind of confused me, but I didn't know enough to get any help and have someone disciple me. So I kind of, more, mostly out of ignorance, kind of started to go back in my own ways eventually. And then in 1988, if you want to hear something really strange, that little booklet, 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it didn't happen. <laughs> well, that booklet, God used it to get me to just drop it, because that was like August that I read that book, and I said, well, according to this, he's coming October. <laughs> yeah, you, you better get your act together, huh? <laughs> so I stopped everything. And you know the Bible says anyway, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And when I did that, one thing God showed me that made me so forever grateful was, Mike, I saved you the first time you asked, but you quit feeling like it, so you started acting like you wasn't. I mean, God didn't say it in so many words. I didn't hear that, but I mean, that's, that was clearly what God was saying to me. So I went out, I started acting like a Christian. I started telling people about Jesus, started reading the Word, and when I did that, the witness of the Holy Spirit came within me, and it, it was just a wonderful time. So I consider 1988 when I really gave my life to the Lord, and uh, that's when I came. I felt the calling from God to come back home. But I asked somebody, I said, what should I do? I was, I was pursuing acting, and now I'm giving my life to the Lord. What should I do now? And someone said, well, unless you're in the mafia or something, <laughs> you should keep doing what God's called you to do. You didn't find it to be an incompatible thing at all, huh? No, not at all. And I, I was happy because I... You know how we are when we first say we're like, okay, we know we got to go to Botswana or some crazy place and witness to people. I Lord, know that, please don't send me to Africa. Yeah, send me to Africa. <laughs> I was ready, though, but it's like, and, and when you find out that God's a God that doesn't take away, he adds to you, he gives you the desire of your heart, it even makes you more, you know, uh, committed. And it did. It made me love God even more. I'm like, man, God, you just have everything I've been looking for outside of you, I could have found if I would have just went towards you. But he's a God that also knows how to rebuild the ruins, and he's been giving me back everything that the enemy stole. So mm -hmm. very blessed. Talk to me a bit more specifically about what he's given back to you, Mike. I have a beautiful wife and, and children, and uh, I, I was uh, born in Gary, Indiana, in the, uh, you know, the mean streets of Gary, Indiana. Lived with my mom and, geez, how many other relatives in a two-bedroom rundown apartment. I didn't have much hope. My mom was actually, I didn't have it. Uh, my mom was actually, I was born out of wedlock. Or, you know, my mom wasn't married. So uh, everything was against me. And then I got in all kinds of trouble in school and high school. And when you don't have a dad, you don't learn the lessons that dads, that or when you don't have good parents, you don't learn those lessons um, of discipline and getting a job and so on. So I was one messed up guy all the way into my 30s till I gave God my life. And uh, now I'll tell you how God gives you stuff back. He don't just instantaneously do it. He wants, to, he wants us to learn to be fighters. He wants us to learn discipline. He wants us to learn self-control. So the way God gives you stuff back is um, just like when you rebuild a house or, or, or brick by brick, you know, it hurts. I'm not going to say any of it felt good, mm -hmm. but every, let's put it this way, everything bad, so to speak, that happens to you in the will of God is for your good, whereas before when bad things were happening were for my destruction. So 
there's a good kind of hurt and a bad kind of hurt. And I'm, I'm all for the good kind of hurt where God's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm rebuilding, you know, this, you're clay, and I'm, I'm going to pound you here and there, but trust me, good things are going to happen. So, and, and I see that. It, so I, think, I think what God's done in my life and what he does in a lot of Christians' life is uh, just when you think you can't take something anymore, he shows you a glimpse of what he's doing. And um, you say, wow, it's worth it, Lord. So he, I, I got a wonderful family. He has given me the desires of my heart and a career, and I'm seeing relatives who I've loved uh, and prayed for for so long coming to Christ. A lot of them were at the uh, movie the other last night that we saw the pre-screen, and uh, who knows what he has for us in eternity. The Bible says we can't even imagine it. So I think with God, it's really a win-win. So God's in the process of redeeming all those lost years, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our time is nearly gone here, but I just want to ask you one more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you the free time on the radio here to urge everybody to go see the Grace Card. Why should everybody see the Grace Card? Everybody needs, they either need to know that they can be forgiven, uh, because there's people that maybe like myself are so messed up, they wonder if God could ever use them. And that's the character I play as Mac McDonald. And or, and, or there's people who having a hard time forgiving someone. You know, um, I've talked to Mike. Uh, he plays the African-American partner. We really got to know each other. We're, we're almost best friends now. We're good friends. Mike Higginbottom, right? Michael Higginbottom. And I, 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 a couple of times I said, Mike, you know, um, I think that was Dr. King's message, forgiveness, but I think a lot of the, some of the black leaders today have gotten off track, whereas if someone like Mac McDonald, and like you say in the movie, I almost used the N-word, they would demand my job, and they think that's the thing to do. But I said, Mike, if, if you had demanded my job in this movie, I wouldn't have had a change of heart. I would have gotten more bitter. And I said, I think that's, that's going to be a big relief from African Americans who find themselves, or anyone who finds themselves being treated the way I treated him in the movie. They're, they're going to say, you know what, I just have to forgive him. That's my only part. I don't have to try to, you know, seek revenge or justice. I just have to forgive him. And it's a hard thing to do, but it's a relief, I think, for some folks. So, and he, he you know, we, we both see that. So I think, uh, I think it's going to do a lot for racial reconciliation, because as I've often told people, with all due respect to all the good programs out there that try to heal the racial divide, if Christ isn't part of it, you just, you still have a problem. You know, and I think this movie shows that Christ needs to be the center of the answer to racial division or any other problem out there. I really enjoyed getting to know Michael Joyner, who plays Mac McDonald in the new movie, The Grace Card, opening February 25th in theaters. If you would like to know more about The Grace Card, its cast, and the story behind the making of the movie, just visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. We've placed links there, which you can follow. And I hope you'll support this movie because of its strong biblical theme of forgiveness and grace. And pray for this powerful message of racial reconciliation as it reaches audiences. First Person is here each week at this time, and we've placed an archive of all past programs on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. In addition to the archive, you'll find a calendar of upcoming broadcasts and a button to connect with our podcast via iTunes. It all starts at firstpersoninterview.com. Next time, you'll meet a man who has dedicated his life to training seminary students in Hong Kong, and we'll learn some things about life in China with Dr. Thane Yuri on First Person. 
And now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll see you next week here on First Person. First Person.